Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Sal Vetri Show. The DFS clip you're about to hear originally aired on my YouTube channel. And before we get into it, you can leave a five-star review. If you can subscribe, download to the podcast, like, and share it, whatever you have to do, I greatly appreciate that. Helps the podcast out a lot. Helps us reach more people. What I would hope is this beneficial content. So welcome and enjoy. Welcome to the Sal Vetri Show. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the channel and the podcast. It is currently 2.46 p.m. East Coast time. It is Thursday, November 14th, and we're going to take our final thoughts video and podcast approach at the NFL Week 11 slate. Surely some injuries that we'll discuss Sunday before lock on our live stream at 11 a.m. East Coast time. And also, if you're a patron, closing thoughts podcast Sunday morning, bright and early around 7 a.m. releases where you get to know exactly where I'm going with stacks and my initial final thoughts on ownership and player pools and all that type of stuff. If you are interested, linked up down below is my exclusive content, NBA and NFL stuff. Tons of stuff, about double the amount of content that I put out over on YouTube, over there on Patreon in different ways, more advanced stuff, podcasts for sure, uh, and live streams as well, but a lot of statistics, uh, a lot of game-by-game notes, projections, databases like this, all that type of stuff, reach down below in the podcast and YouTube description. So thank you so much if you do sign up for that. We're two away from 400 patrons where somebody will get another lifetime membership to my Patreon account, as long as that stays active, of course, but... Thank you. If you are new here, welcome. My name is Sal Vetri, and I do cover daily fantasy sports in the NFL, NBA, WNBA, and the MLB streets. NBA videos are going out on a daily basis. A lot of people giving me good feedback about those. Check them out if you're interested. It is a ton of fun to play NBA DFS. Honestly, in my opinion, more fun than NFL DFS, probably because it's more daily, right? I get to play it more often than just one or two or three days a week if you're a showdown player. Showdown content is also out on Patreon, showdown tiers, as well as videos. But We are here to discuss the final thoughts. Hit the subscribe button before we get into this. Check the description down below. There will be a link to my Instagram where I do drop some Instagram exclusive content, letting you know what things on Patreon are just opened up for an hour or the day for free, where I only talk about it on Instagram. So hit the link down below, head over to Instagram. You can follow that as well as Twitter, where I drop a lot of nice statistics and have a conversation as well on the Twitterverse. Sal Vetri DFS over there. Hit up. Um, fantasy draft linked up down below they're revolutionizing the way that you do play daily fantasy sports getting rid of rake rake free if you only play a hundred dollars a month it's totally rake free every dollar in is a dollar back out for you but if you want to sign up for some sort of monthly subscription package to get more action down on the site it's only going to cost you like one to two percent in terms of a fee for a subscription rate compared to the 10 to 15 percent on average in a contest you're paying in a lot of these DraftKings. not only tournaments but also head-to-head games so check out fantasy draft linked up down below is linked to fantasy drafts main event contest and if you review this podcast episode if you review it on any platform, if you already reviewed it on iTunes, go over to Stitcher, whatever it might be, to be re-entered into the contest, leave your fantasy draft handle, and you will be entered into a contest for three people who will win a free entry into the fantasy draft main event this weekend, usually valued around $25, might be up to $28 this weekend. I'm not sure. I did not check it yet for this weekend. But without further ado, hit the subscribe button, hit the five-star rate and review over on the podcast, and let's get into this video starting with the quarterback page. My interests in general on this 11-game slate are kind of compressed right now for running back, tight end, and wide receiver. A lot less than usual, I should say, at least. A couple players less than usual. That might change and probably will change based on injury news and also further analysis as the weekend and ownership changes. And again, you can get my Closing Thoughts podcast Friday ownership show tomorrow on Patreon as well. But for right now, Matt Ryan is the first guy on this list. Not in any priority order. He is a yes, but not above the other guys. Really haven't hashed out my stacks yet. But this game in general is picking up a lot of ownership, which somewhat concerns me. But also, look, it's a really good game environment, especially for the other side of this game, which we'll talk about. But 
Matt Ryan is a six and a half point underdog. I do like that. James Bradbury did practice on Wednesday after fir- first it was reported he didn't um, and that he was held out, but then it was reported that he did practice. So he's likely to be back and guard Julio Jones in this one. Bradbury has been used as a shadow in some matchups, and then sometimes he's not. I imagine maybe he shadows Julio Jones, and he probably should in this matchup. Doesn't really scare me about Julio's uh, prospects there. And on the other side, though, you have a really difficult matchup for Calvin Ridley against Dante Jackson or Cockrell, their third string cornerback uh, who have both been solid this year in the slot Russell Gage might get the best individual matchup on the entire offense and, and then you have out of the backfield Brian Hill so honestly as the week goes on I might get less interest in Matt Ryan it's just hard to ignore a guy throwing 40 times per game as a six and a half point underdog in a spot where it is right now for me in my pace metrics the fastest projected pace 24.57 seconds before each snap is the fastest on the slate for this game per team for me. Um, so that usually just means you have more plays. Maybe you get an extra possession out of Matt Ryan here. At 6,200, I like the price point. I'm going to have interest in stacks. Really tough to throw on the outsides on this Carolina Panthers team, so that's what's worrisome. Much more upside on the ground against them, which is why and we'll talk about Brian Hill's chalkiness. But anyways, not to bury the lead on that one. But Matt Ryan's still in a nice spot here, in my opinion. Uh, Jameis Winston is one of the better options on the slate, in my opinion. He's like a top three quarterback interest, if not top two this week for me, against New Orleans. Marshawn Lattimore did not practice Wednesday. We'll see what happens today on Thursday as I shoot this. I did not see any of these status updates on his injury. Uh, We should be getting those really any minute. But see what happens with Marshawn Lattimore. We'll talk about it later in the week. Saturday's awesome show, Sunday before lock. If he's out, I mean, it just makes Jameis maybe my favorite play on the weekend. 22.5 point total right now. It's a little bit of a slower-paced game. But a fine matchup, in my opinion, for an individual one-by-one basis for what's happening here. You know who he's going to throw to. Mike Evans, Chris Goblin, and then O.J. Howard, to an extent, are getting the ball in the receiving game. I'm not banking on eight more receptions on eight targets for Ronald Jones last week. 39.4 attempts per game for Jameis Winston. He's going to have a nice run or or pass protection advantage, and his running back in Ronald Jones or Peyton Barber or DeRay Ogumboale are all going to have really difficult matchups. One of the worst pass blocking uh, or run blocking um, advantages on the slate this weekend is for... Jameis Winston and his uh, running game. So they're going to rely as they have for the most part of this year, but especially in this matchup, more on the passing game. We saw Chris Godwin get his earlier in the season against PJ Williams. He did similar things last year in a matchup where he had three receptions for 40 yards and a touchdown. And then this year he goes for over a buck or over 100 yards and two touchdowns. So he should be in a good spot. And if Marshawn Lattimore is out, it makes Mike Evans very viable. You saw a season high in routes run last week for OJ Howard at 41. Hard not to like that as well. About a negative 10% run blocking advantage this week, according to Pro Football Focus, for Jameis Winston and their um, defensive or against the defensive line in the run stop on the Saints. Shouldn't surprise anybody. Really good run defense in New Orleans. Dak Prescott is growing on me this week. I like Amari Cooper's matchup against Darius Slay. Look, Darius Slay has faced MVS and Zay Jones and held them both to goose eggs. Both of those wide receivers, not good wide receivers. And if you want to argue with me that MVS is a good wide receiver, I mean, obviously they're all good because they got to the, to the NFL, but good in terms of a Amari Cooper anywhere near him? No, not even close. He's, he's a number three or four wide receiver. And if you look at MVS's MVS, snap counts as of late, not playing snaps for the Packers anymore. Hmm, maybe a little bit injury related, but no, Alan Lazard is passing him up because MVS doesn't get separation. He might catch a deep ball here and there, but for the most part, he has some speed, no other real skill sets in my opinion. So, Otherwise, a way of getting off topic, you do have Amari Cooper against Slay, who did face Keenan Allen and gave up 81 yards on six receptions to him, so an okay day, I guess. But then you've had MVS and Zay Jones are the other shadow matchups that Darius Slay has had this season. So this is the toughest matchup by far. Way, way more difficult in terms of just the speed and size of Amari Cooper. Not so much height-wise, but compared to Darius Slay, it's going to be a more difficult matchup than the Keenan Allen matchup. 
Amari will go into the slot on about a quarter of his routes as well. I do like that. And then you have Michael Gallup against Rashawn Melvin, which is one of the worst cornerbacks in the league this season. Over 500 yards and three touchdowns, over 120 pass rating against. Those are the two primary guys. In the slot, it's a more difficult matchup for the veteran Randall Cobb against Justin Coleman. Definitely more difficult, but something that a veteran like Randall Cobb can definitely win. And also a good matchup for Jason Witten. Uh, It's a good spot overall for all the pass catching options, which usually means I get to Dak Prescott, a guy averaging 308.6, second highest in the slate passing yards per game, 35 point four um, pass attempts per game and you also get about 20 rushing uh, 20 rushing yards per game out of him he actually leads the slate believe it or not in dr so in terms of he is like the best player if you put a quarterback in all of his situations or in all neutral situations he would pick up the most yardage at 951 dr defensive yards above replacement um so nice spot right there for Dak. i do like him and lastly my last yes a fifty three hundred dollar kyle allen against atlanta He's 28.5 team total. Um, That's fantastic. Atlanta gives up 23.7 fantasy points per game. All of his options from Kirsty McCaffrey to DJ Moore to Curtis Samuel in that order of my interests from Carolina Weapons are all in fantastic matchups this weekend, and they're all cheap as well as Kyle Allen being cheap. So I worry a little bit. Do you think um, a Kyle Allen as a six and a half point favorite is going to be needed to win a tournament? I doubt it. I, I kind of just rather get to his one-off pieces. I really don't have confidence in Kyle Allen going for 300 plus yards and two to three touchdowns. I just don't see that being needed. But then again, he is cheap enough to where he only needs maybe 25 fantasy points, 24 fantasy points, and he could be there for winning something for you. It's something that I don't have a ton of confidence in because of him being a six and a half point favorite, but the matchup is as good as it's going to get. Um, we saw Atlanta get six sacks last week against the Saints, and that kind of came out of nowhere. I don't expect that to continue. They were coming off a bye in a week where their head coach was kind of on the hot seat, so maybe just a little more fire under them. We'll see what happens this week. But right now, Kyle Allen at that price point is somebody I have a lot of interest in. Derek Carr, Drew Brees, and Tom Brady are my remaining options as sort of a second-tier options this week. Derek Carr, look, a really good matchup against Cincy. Nothing bad to say about him. Their secondary continues to be banged up. They continue to have a bottom seven pass rush this season. But he's a 10.5-point favorite in a matchup where Derek Carr really doesn't win you tournaments. Like, he had one twenty point fantasy week and he's been very consistent like this year Derek Carr has been fantastic he has 767 uh, DR defensive yards or above replacement that's second on the slate to Dak Prescott and we know how good of a season Dak Prescott has had uh, 31.2 pass attempts per game for Derek Carr though and as a huge favorite you could very much rely on a very heavy Josh Jacobs run script a game that is somewhat neutral pace maybe a little bit beneficial but at 6100 like I love the matchup I love how good he's playing this year but in terms of having a ceiling game here He's winning football games and he's playing very well on offense. I think they're averaging somewhere in the high 20s in points per game over the last two months. They've been very good under John Gruden, but for Derek Carr to win you a tournament, it's just not there. They're very balanced and he doesn't throw enough and he doesn't have ceiling games enough to propel other people to have tournament winning scores. So he's sort of a maybe for me because I think he's a okay cash option here to get you a stable 18 to 20 points, but tournaments, I don't think the upside's there as a huge favorite. Drew Brees against Tampa. Look, I like Drew Brees. It's the best matchup you could possibly have against Tampa Bay and and their pass funnel defense. They have a 27.5 team total. They're five-point favorites. It's a good spot. Slower pace a little bit. 26.3 fantasy points allowed to the quarterback position. Second highest on the slate is what this team in Tampa Bay is allowing on defense. And you get Drew Brees, and he's a guy, if in his three starts that he played the start to the end of them, he's averaging right now 43 or 44 pass attempts per game. It was 43, 43, and then 46 in the most recent game or 45 in the most recent game, he's going to throw a lot. Um, and uh, some of that is because earlier in the season or the last game, they get down and they start trailing. Uh, but also, it's a tough spot when he's $6,900. And then Michael Thomas, and we'll talk about him as $9,900. It's really hard to want to stack this team. So I like Drew Brees. And yes, you can pair him with Michael Thomas and then just get your Jared Cook for a cheap option or Troy Con smith who I prefer more, and we'll talk about it. But I prefer more than Ted Ginn, read more snaps, played on more, uh, or ran more routes, played on more snaps than Ginn last week. 
and he's also cheaper, but do you really have high upside in a Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, who's probably going to be more opportunity cost and beneficial for you, and then one of those just dart throws? So when it comes to actually salaries, yeah, DraftKings made this so it's difficult to actually, even in a very good matchup against Tampa Bay, want to get there. Alvin Kamara's cheaper, but you're really playing paying $7,400 for Kamara's receiving game role, where we already saw earlier in the year he got shut down overall at this price point, higher price point, but 16 fantasy points against the Bucks. They've been very good overall. So you're paying $7,400 for a, a pretty much just Alvin Kamara receiver role with like maybe five points if he doesn't get in the end zone on the ground against this defense and who knows what Latavius Murray's role is so yeah it's a very good spot for Breeze but I don't think we have to force it salaries are a thing if you told me there was no salaries and everybody was priced the same I'd say yep give me Michael Thomas Kamara and Drew Breeze this weekend and I feel really good about my stack run it back with uh, Godwin and Evans right but no salaries are a thing it makes it very con- a little bit restrictive and the opportunity cost is surely there everything has to go right for you to for that to pay off at their price tags preferably or specifically Michael Thomas Tom Brady, an okay matchup against Philly. Uh, They've been improving as of late. People probably haven't realized it. They have Maddox getting healthier. They have Darby getting healthier. And obviously, Jalen Mills came back about three, four weeks ago. So they're very healthy in the secondary now for once, right? They're getting healthier in the defensive line, which means more pressure, which usually helps your secondary. Still not a great secondary by any means, giving up a lot of points uh, to the wide receiver position, but not as much to the quarterback because they do generate pressure. Um, So this is a spot where Tom Brady's in a good spot. His receivers, he has clear options in Edelman and then Sanu, probably in that order. And then Dorsett, really don't care about James White. He's pretty much a glorified slot wide receiver when it comes to fantasy uh, and he's a little bit overhyped in my opinion I get it he's a running back who gets a lot of targets but this season he's not getting his eight to ten carries on the ground he's getting like two if you're lucky so Brady is sort of a lower end option and at his $6,400 price tag I just prefer the guys that set above let's get to running back where it's kind of a compressed pool for me and I can't wait to talk about some of these things but Running back, Christian McCaffrey at the top. It's hard to get away from him. I love him this week. He's 20% owned. He should be higher owned. I definitely prefer Christian McCaffrey without a doubt over Michael Thomas. And here's the here's the thinking and the opportunity cost behind it. Ready? Christian McCaffrey's $10,500. There's maybe like three or four running backs that I think can put up a score that threaten Christian McCaffrey to the point where, oh, what happens if Le'Veon Bell scores 35? Then you don't need McCaffrey. Or if he scores 30 or 28, you don't need McCaffrey at all, right? There's a very rare chance you're pairing them both together and still getting a good lineup. And then you just don't need McCaffrey because some other running back went off. But if McCaffrey goes for his average, literally average, and without the Tampa Bay games, the average of like 35 fantasy points per game, if he just scores 28 to 30 this week, there's only like four or five guys, maybe only three or four that I really feel threatened by potentially scoring 28 to 30 fantasy points on the ground and knocking him off his high horse and you not needing him. Michael Thomas at $9,900 as a wide receiver. First off, he scored 30 points the last two weeks. He scored 40 plus points against Tampa Bay earlier this season. But he's $9,900. He has to do that again. So at that price point, he has to get you the 28, probably the 30 to 35 point game. And then there's like a laundry list of 10 to 12 receivers that I think can score 28 to 30 points this week, both in the 7K, the 6K, and even the 5K range with guys like DJ Moore down there. So yeah, there's there's way more opportunity costs in terms of saving two to three thousand dollars and getting off of Michael Thomas to some better wide receivers where you can save two to three thousand dollars and get off McCaffrey, but I don't think you have that same upside. I think you have that upside in guys like Chris Goblin, Mike Evans, um in that range, even Julian Edelman and in that range in the seven K range, right? And Julio, you have that upside. Even DeAndre Hopkins in a tough matchup, but he's eighteen hundred dollars less expensive, which is crazy. There's the same exact upside, maybe not the same consistency, but same upside. Whereas Christian McCaffrey, there's nowhere near the same consistency, and I don't even think there's that much of the same upside. We haven't seen that upside out of Zeke this year. We haven't seen it really out of one game, basically from Fournette this year is all we've seen. And then Dalvin Cook's the only other one in a really tough matchup. So yes, I like getting to McCaffrey, prioritize him by far over Michael Thomas this week, in my opinion, in all formats. And he's probably a top 
two, if not my favorite running back play in the slate, and a good matchup against Atlanta, who they've only really faced two pass-catching running backs this year. Alvin Kamara last week catches eight balls, and six balls for 80 yards is what uh, David Johnson put up on them a couple weeks back. Everybody else is not a pass-catching running back. Derrick Henry, Marlon Mack, those guys don't catch the ball, right? Um, uh, Carlos Hyde, these are the other backs they face. So the pass-catching running back numbers being lower against Atlanta this season is very heavily skewed. They're going to have to face Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara um, four times out of the next five weeks, if you consider last week as well against the Saints. A uh, very high pace game. We already talked about the good team total, six and a half point favorite. The guy averages 27 um, yards per game. He's the number one running back in pro football focus. It should not surprise everybody. Leads the DR category. Fantastic play. You get a guy in Leonard Fournette who has been very bad in terms of um, breakaway percentage, very bad in terms of his stuff rate, sees the most six-man or eight-man boxes. But this guy's 7,900, and he still sees 25.2 attempts per game. That's second best in the league, one barely ahead of uh, Dalvin Cook right now. So the success rate is not there because he's facing so many eight-man boxes, but he is breaking tackles, although he's not breaking away because... For the most part, this guy um, is just getting hammered nonstop. But now you have Nick Foles there. Maybe that'll leave some pressure. He's a three-point underdog, which is concerning, but he's averaging close to six targets per game. Fournette's not a priority for me because of the price point. I like a lot of guys who are cheaper than him, um, some by only a couple hundred, some by a 1000 plus, some by $2,000. And I like McCaffrey a lot, so I probably don't get too much Fournette, but I just want to let you know if you do get to him, he's a solid option. You're getting a lot of production out of him just based on the volume, even if it's not efficient. Josh Jacobs is standing out as probably one of the best, if not um, the best option below 7,000 on the slate, if not the best option below Christian McCaffrey on the slate. 6,900, I write here, everything seems dot, 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 perfect, question mark. I don't have the question mark, but I'm going to add that. 29.5, the highest total on the slate is the Oakland Raiders. Yes, they are scoring a ton of points in real life and in fantasy for a lot of their players. 29.5 team total, 10.5 point favorites, 29.8 fantasy points allowed per game by Cincinnati. Cincinnati is doing a lot of bad things this season in terms of the most rushing yards per game to running backs. Top three, or top five in uh, rushing yards, top five in rushing touchdowns, top five in attempts against. There's going to be a lot of points here for Josh Jacobs as long as he just gets into the end zone. He can catch the ball. He's just not doing it often because he's not running a lot of routes. Just 10 routes ran last week to Jalen Richard's 17. So that's something I wish we can see more of. But regardless, Josh Jacobs is going to have one of the best opportunities here. This is a guy who continues to see a lot of red zone carries, 32, which is top five in the league right now. And he's a guy who does average 21 opportunities per game as a $6,900 running back. This is a fantastic rookie. Now, I talked about it earlier today in the Awesome Show, David Montgomery's situation last week. It just gives me kind of PTSD. But first of all, not the same situations. We'll talk about it. But You saw David Montgomery, not a guy who catches the ball a lot, and he was in a really good spot against Detroit. If he's not going to score and get into the end zone, is it as worth it? Like, is it it worth it pretty much, right? And he only has 17 carries for 60 yards, doesn't catch the ball, doesn't get in the end zone. Can that happen to Josh Jacobs here? Can he have 21 attempts for 90 yards like we saw against the Chiefs earlier this season, knocking in the end zone, not catching any balls, and he burns a lot of people? Honestly, yes, because he doesn't catch the ball. That's a big issue for me when guys don't catch the ball. They're very one-dimensional, whereas McCaffrey is going to put up more times than not, like 10-plus points in the receiving game. Josh Jacobs can easily, and he has multiple times a season, put up a zero spot there and relies very much on the ground. Unlike the situation with the Bears, one, this Oakland Raiders offense is far better, way better than the Mitch Trubisky-led Bears offense. They're going to get to the red zone and the goal line much more than that Mitch Trubisky-Bears offense. So there's a lot more upside there for Jacobs. And honestly, it's a better matchup where Detroit was getting healthier last week. Cincinnati is getting healthier. I will warn you, though, he's a 10.5 point favorite. I love the guy. He's going to be one of my highest on running backs as of right now, in my opinion. And he's following it with the ownership. But I will warn you, he does not catch the ball. So things, if they do get wonky, can get very wonky for him. 
Le'Veon Bell at 7,200. The guy has 47 touches the last two weeks, 12 catches, four last week, eight the week before receptions after sitting down with Adam Gase and saying, hey, I want to be used more, especially in the receiving game. Now you get a matchup against Washington where the Jets are going to have, um, or first of all, they're one-point underdogs somehow here, so you're going to still have his receptions um, be in play here. It's a nice spot for Le'Veon Bell, in my opinion. He has not been ultra-effective on the year, and you really can't blame him based on some of the matchups he's had, based on some of the usages, spots he's been in. $7,200 for a guy who's currently coming in very low-owned. I actually like this. Maybe not as a direct pivot or a low. It could be in the same price range off of Josh Jacobs, but just an overall play in a one-off spot in some GPPs. There's upside there. I imagine he sees a minimum of 20 touches in this game, and he probably still catches four balls on average in the spot. Him catching four balls last week was probably closer to his floor. $6,100 Tevin Coleman's a nice option here. You're not going to have Matt Breida likely to miss one to two weeks. You have Ari- or you have San Fran as a 12 and a half point favorite against Arizona who has not been, they've been below average, nothing fan- or terribly bad, but 25.9 fantasy points per game to the running back position and a 29 team total for San Fran. These are the situations where they're huge favorites. They're coming off of a loss. They're playing at home again. Huge double digit favorites. The biggest favorites on the slate at 12 and a half. There's no Matt Breida. On a minimum, I see Tevin Coleman playing 65% of the snaps. Most start who's been limited in practice maybe comes in, plays 30%. You get Jeff Wilson Jr. playing 5 to 10%, somewhere around there. But I think more times than not, that leads like 18 carries for a guy like Tevin Coleman. Maybe you add a reception, and he's going to be a guy at 6,100 who's just way too underpriced. Right now, his ownership is not that high. It's in like single digits. I expect it comes up as more people realize Matt Breida is going to miss this week. I don't think he's been officially ruled out, but he's been all but officially ruled out for two weeks now. Tevin Coleman is, if the ownership doesn't spike up, uh, one of the better plays in the slate. He's my last yes. I have five guys in the yes range. Brian Hill, here's the big discussion. I have him as a maybe, and I really don't like him this week. Oh my God, Sal, you don't like him? I've heard on every other podcast, Brian Hill is such a such a good play this week. Look, 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 look. Ready, ready, ready? He's the highest owned running back at $4,800. And, and I put a couple of the guys on my list just to discuss them. I really don't have interest. $4,700 Jordan Howard, $4,600 Carlos Hyde. Can somebody in this in this comment section, without being vulgar and, and lose your mind and have it explode on me, uh, and just like the second you heard me say Brian Hill, I don't like that much, your head blew up because you have him all your, in all your lineups. No, Brian Hill at 4,800. What is the difference? And I, I posted this on Twitter. What is the difference between Brian Hill at 4,800 as the highest projected owned running back right now in the slate at 25%, 25%, and the 1% owned Carlos Hyde and Jordan Howard this week in the same price range? What is the difference? Ask me. Let me, let me ask you that. Uh, He is the fill-in for Devonta Freeman, who Devonta Freeman was averaging 12 carries per game. 12 carries per game. And last week, he sees 20 carries for 60 yards in a tough matchup, only because his team is ahead by two to three scores the entire game, right? And he wasn't even effective with them, albeit a tough matchup, I get it. But he's not going to see that much production in terms of overall usage this week, because he's a six-point underdog on the road. He's a guy who has had 60 carries in his career and only six receptions in his three-year career since 2017. Oh, so, so every 10 carries, this guy is going to get a reception or based on the snap count somewhere in that range. So people want to tell me, oh, but he's going to be Devontae Freeman out there. He's going to catch five balls. First of all, Devontae Freeman was not catching five balls every game, right? He did it in like two or three games where he had good reception games. He caught two touchdowns on three receptions. This guy is not heavily used, or he is a good pass-catching running back, but it's nowhere near what Brian Hill's about to be. He's not nearly as good as Devontae Freeman in the passing game. It, I personally would project uh, a guy like um, Brian Hill for two recep- or for two targets in this game, one to one and a half receptions, and I'm going to project him for about 14 to 15 touches on the ground, and that might be bold. That might be a high projection for him because, again, Devonta Freeman is averaging 12 carries per game, but there's nobody behind him. Yes, there is. Have you heard of Kenyon Barner, who played 14% of the snaps in emergency duty last week? I expect him to play somewhere around 20 to 25. If they activate Quadre Olison. I'm probably butchering that name. The fifth round rookie running back from Pittsburgh, if they activate him, who they have high expectations for, and they've just been kind of buried on the depth chart, I expect they activate him. He probably sees, what, 5 to 10% of the snaps? So 
everybody hold your horses on Brian Hill. Look, I don't think he's a 100% fade him if this is cash or something, but he's 25% owned. And I fail to see the difference between him and, and Carlos Hyde and Jordan Howard and those $4,000 running backs. McKissick no more that Ty Johnson practiced today with the concussion. But what is the difference? Oh, but Duke Johnson's behind Carlos Hyde. Oh, but Miles Sanders behind Jordan Howard. Well, Jordan Howard is now the main guy out there. And even if you don't believe that, he outtouched Miles Sanders 19 to 10 on the ground last week. Oh, but his matchup against the Patriots, they ranked 24th in pro football focus defensive grade. Um, so I'm not too worried about that matchup. Oh, but the Panthers are dead last in DVOA against the run. Well, it depends on which site you're looking at. I struggle internally to decide between PFF and DVOA. I know DVOA is good. I know PFF is good. But you're, you mean to tell me that you're going to justify a 25% owned bad running back, in my opinion. I mean, he's been a third string everywhere he's gone with the Bengals to the Falcons. He was good in the preseason one game last year where he was facing backups at the end of the season. You're trying to justify that a guy who's 25% owned is as good of a play as he is over 1% owned guys that are going to be projected for more. Probably I'm going to project Jordan Howard for at least 16 carries, probably closer to 18 based on his recent role. Maybe 16 is a little bit better. I'm going to project Carlos Hyde for his average per game, which is 15. So similar role, exact same role. And you're really going to own him 24 more percent of the time or get behind that bad chalk as a guy just rudely rips it open with his motorcycle. I don't know if you heard that. You're going to get behind that bad chalk because, first of all, other people on podcasts have said it this week. Look, I'm not getting behind it. I don't care if Brian Hill goes out and has 40 yards on the ground and two touchdowns. It's a bad play in hindsight at that ownership. I don't actually like Jordan Howard and Carlos Hyde this week. I don't. I just put them on this sheet to make sure that I reference their their situations. I'm, I'm going to have them projected for similar, if not more, carries than Brian Hill this week. And I don't think Brian Hill is this all fantastic receiving back. Six receptions in his three-year career compared to 60 or 59 carries in his career. Six receptions. So if he's going to carry the ball 15 to 20 times today. I imagine more times than 90 catches one to two balls. You're really going to get behind that at chalk ownership when the Falcons are six point underdogs on the road. Y'all are crazy. Next up, Ezekiel Elliott. That was a crazy rant. That might've been my, my best rant yet. Um, but yeah, for the people who are going to get in the comment section and tell me the Panthers are last in DVOA against the run. Oh, this is a smash spot for Brian Hill. He's already priced up. He's not $3,800. He's priced up for the matchup. He's priced up for his role. He's going to see 12 to 15 carries in this game, and you're going to play him at 25% ownership. Donkey move. Ezekiel Elliott, $9,000. I think it's a good spot. Detroit got healthier last week. Still a fine spot if Zeke's going to be 7% owned right now. Look, if you're not playing Christian McCaffrey, get to low-owned Dalvin Cook and or Ezekiel Elliott. I prefer Ezekiel Elliott in this spot as a three-and-a-half-point home favorite and one of the highest, the highest total game on the slate. 32 points per game is what Detroit is giving up. Again, they got healthier last week, but I still think it's a fine spot for Zeke. Devin Singletary, I'm not that high on. 31 touches to 25 touches. Singletary has outtouched Frank Gore by only six touches over the last three weeks. Two touches per week, even though he's played 66% of the snaps the last three weeks. 67, 66, and 68 the last three weeks is what he's seen, but only touching the ball two more times on the ground per game than Frank Gore. I get it. It's a good matchup against Miami. 29.5 fantasy points per game allowed to the running back position. He's not picking up a ton of ownership. He's in single digits right now. So I probably feel good getting more than the 8% current projected ownership on him. But I don't really want to get all that much more at $6,000. I think he's appropriately priced. And then the Jordan Howard, Carlos Hyde pivots. Again, I don't really want to play them. I don't really want to play Brian Hill. I'll just avoid the entire range. But if I'm going to pick one of them, even if you factor out the ownership, Brian Hill, Carlos Hyde, and Jordan Howard, I'm just going to take Carlos Hyde or Jordan Howard. They're both underdogs similar to Hill, but they're smaller underdogs. They have a more proven role. You know what you're going to get out of them. And I don't want to hear that, oh, but um, Jordan Howard's facing New England. I get it. I don't want to play Jordan Howard. I'm just telling you the difference between him and Brian Hill here. 
is that his matchup against the Patriots is not all that bad. They're very good in the secondary, good at getting pass rush, but they're not good on the ground. Teams just don't stay close enough. But as only a three and a half point underdog, I think this game stays close enough. And again, Jordan Howard has seen uh, 42 rush attempts over the last two weeks since taking over as the main guy, out touching Miles Sanders on the ground by nine last week. We'll see all the red zone carries. Not a guy that I have a ton of confidence in. Don't really have a ton of confidence in or want to play either of these guys. But if you're looking for a pivot off of the chalky and bad chalk, in my opinion, Brian Hill, it's Carlos Hyde or Jordan Howard. Raheem Mostar at 3,400, I think is interesting. This is probably a game where you see them run the ball 35 times. They've done it multiple times this year. Matt Breed is supposed to be out. If you get 20 carries, 22 carries, whatever it might be out of Tevin Coleman, you're probably getting 10 plus carries out of Raheem Mostar at 3,400, maybe two receptions. So I don't love the volume there, but if he gets in the end zone at 3,400, he's going to smash for you. If he gets in the end zone, he probably scores you 12 to 15 points, and there's not much more you can ask for in a tournament. I don't really want to play him in cash because of the inconsistent and really not secure volume, but in a tournament, he's a dart throw, millie maker type option. JD McKissick is off my interest board now that Ty Johnson was uh, practicing. I haven't listed here as active, but he was just practicing with a concussion. I think he still has to clear the protocol, so just keep an eye on that. Also, I want to talk about Joe Mixon. In a good matchup against Oakland, he had 30 attempts last week, and a lot of people, including myself, until I looked more into it, were very baffled and confused as to why he had 30 attempts in a game they were losing so much. Well, Ryan Finley threw a pick six, and Ryan Finley had a fumble six, so in the fourth quarter when Lamar Jackson was pulled, and there was a fumble six, and they got down by 36 at that point, they just repeatedly handed the ball off to Joe Mixon. He saw double-digit carries in the fourth quarter alone, and then he also saw carries at other points in the game. Giovanni Bernard got injured, did not leave, did not get ruled out of this game as a lot of people think he did because there were some false reports. He played in the second half, but Giovanni or Joe Mixon probably picked up another two carries there. He picked up honestly like ten more carries than he should have in the fourth quarter because of the blowout. So. 30 carries is obviously not going to continue. Um, They're 10 and a half point underdogs here. So I do still think he sees 16 to 18 carries and blowouts, nowhere near 30. It was a very unique unique situation where they got down by 36. Ryan Finley was clearly abysmal. 5.6 yards per attempt against the Ravens in their stout secondary now with Marlon Humphreys, Jimmy Smith, um, uh, Marcus Peters, and, and Earl Thomas, a fantastic secondary there. But Yes, this was a spot where it was extremely skewed, and I really don't want to get behind it. Kalen Balaj, people have been telling me they like my takes on him this week because it's very to the point. And to end the running back portion of this, and I do think you can get to Dalvin Cook if you want to. I th- do think you can get to Kamara if you want to. Uh, Kamara's just high owned right now, and I don't really want to follow it. Mar- Marlon Mack, I was very concerned by seeing him play 40% of the snaps in a game where they got behind. They're three point favorites here, but if they get behind at all, he's coming off the field. He's not game flow independent anymore. Naeem Himes took over his role last week, so don't really want to get there. And that's it. We'll end it with the take that a lot of people like this week. Um, and, and this will probably lead to a 100-yard, two-touchdown game for this man who played 82% of the snaps last week, Gets has the highest stuff percentage on the slate at 25%, and it's Kalen Balaj, and he just stinks, so I'm not playing him. Wide receiver. I only have I only have 18 players in this pool. Usually, you're used to me having like 24, um, so a little bit less. There'll definitely be more maybe come Sunday, and we'll talk about them before lock. You'll see them before lock, so tune into that show Sunday at 11 a.m., Julio Jones at the top of this. Look, Bradbury practice, so it should be a tough matchup, but I still like Julio with the price tag of 7,500. He's picking up ownership, though, so I like him as a runback option if you're going to stack um, Carolina. I like him in clear, obvious stacks with Matt Ryan, so maybe not as much of a priority now that Bradbury's practicing. Chris Goblin, I like a lot. He already has t- uh, tormented P.J. Williams once this year. He did it last year. He actually got shut down one game against the Saints last year for like one catch for 13 yards, but totally different receiver now with no Humphreys and Deshaun Jackson. I guess he's disappointed people over the last couple of weeks. I'm still going to play the guy. He's still running all of the, a ton of every single route on this team. Uh, he's playing 99% of the snaps, 100% of the snaps, ton of usage out of the slot. Really good spot for Chris Goblin. I'm going to go back to him, prefer him over Mike Evans, as long as Lattimore is going to be playing, which right now it's trending towards no, but we'll follow up with that. 
Already spoke on Michael Gallup's matchup against Rashawn Melvin. Melvin has given up 16 yards per catch, which is right in Michael Gallup's wheelhouse where he sees a lot of his targets downfield. Michael Gallup so far this season, if I scroll over, is seeing 12.2 air yards per target and he's seeing eight targets per game. He's very much in the Chris Godwin and also DJ Moore range of seeing good volume, eight plus targets per game. Uh, Godwin seeing nine, DJ Moore seeing around nine, Michael Gallup seeing eight. And his air yards per target, so how deep they are downfield and how much upside are in them, is right around 10 to 11. It's not the same 16-yard upside as a lot of elite um, air yard numbers, but a lot of those are usually just thrown over people's heads. These are in a range where you can actually catch the ball and make good use out of them in the intermediate range. So I like that for Gallup and a good matchup against Detroit. DJ Moore is one of my favorite plays in the slate at wide receiver for like a third straight week. Um, But playing in the last two weeks, it's been paying off. And he's still too cheap at 5,900. He fits the mold of Michael Gallup and Chris Godwin. is a very similar receiver. I know Godwin plays in the slot a lot, and it's not the same of where they're running their routes. But once again, because of the targets and where they're seeing those targets in the intermediate part of the field and high conversion rates, you're seeing similar yardage and play type for DJ Moore to Chris Godwin. He's just not getting in the end zone as much. So DJ Moore, once again, in a high pace game, picking up ownership, but I like it. I like his teammate for even cheaper. $5,300 Curtis Samuel sees about eight targets, 7.6 per game. Again, a fast-paced game. And these guys are going to have great matchups. Um, you're going to have Curtis Samuel against a backup in Wilson, uh, who has 136 pass rating against. You're going to have DJ Moore against Isaiah Oliver, who's just been uh, Mr. Toaster left and right getting toasted out there. Honestly, yo, toast is good. Um, but when you're getting toasted as a cornerback, not so great. I like both of those guys. Russell Gage at 3,300 on the opposite side of this game. He makes to be a great cash play. Is he not like a cash building block if that's a thing this week? $3,300. He's ran 68 routes the last two weeks. Yeah, I think he's seen 12 targets. I saw somewhere reported 14. So maybe I did the wrong math. I thought it was seven and five, but um, he's seen 12 to 14 targets. Uh, and now there's no Hooper. Obviously, no Sanu. It's a spot where James Bradbury might give um, um, Julio Jones fits on the outside. It's a spot where Dante Jackson will probably give Calvin Ridley fits on the outside. So Russell Gage in the slot, I'd project this guy at 3,300 for six to seven targets. And if you're getting that in this high offense, that's really hard to ignore. High octane offense, you would say, um, at least on paper, that's really hard to ignore for Russell Gage this week at 3,300. In my opinion, one of the better plays in terms of value for cash on the slate. D.D. Westbrook should return against the Colts. Yes, D.D.'s in a good spot at 4,500. It's time to rekindle that preseason Foles plus D.D. hype where he had a, a huge game. Um, but honestly, I think there was a lot of misreporting on that. Like, yes, he had a very good game in the preseason and people wanted to run with one drive, really, where he caught like five balls and got into the end zone. But there was a bigger connection between Nick Foles and Chris Conley in the preseason all throughout camp. Um, And then it just got blown over because you see in the live game action, Conley only sees one target, gets called back on a big pass interference penalty, um, or the target gets thrown out, and then D.D. Westbrook has the big game. So D.D. at 4,500, if he starts here, you target the Colts on short passes to the running backs, the tight ends, and the slot wide receiver. I think the best option would be D.D. Westbrook over the Jacksonville third string tight end at this point, right? And, And over Leonard Fournette even. At that point, uh, Amari Cooper, a lot of people, low ownership, 7,700. It's scaring them off this price tag. If you're stacking Dak, you have to get to Amari. I'm not scared about Darius Slay's matchup. He did not really shut down Keenan Allen. Six catches for 81 yards. He faced MVS and Zay Jones, like I said earlier. I'm not worried about that. Julian Edelman against the Eagles will face Avante Maddox in the slot. Really good matchup for Julian Edelman there. Eagles still giving up 41.5 fantasy points per game to the wide receiver position. And then Tyler Boyd, six catches for 61 yards last week. Finley's terrible. In the preseason, he was having like six yards per attempt, 5.6 yards per attempt last week. He doesn't throw downfield, but you know who that helps? Joe Mixon out of the backfield if he continues to run routes. He ran 14 routes to Giovanni Bernard seven last week. And Tyler Boyd, who finally got back on the paper, got, got back on the paper. I don't know what that means. 
but got back on the score sheet with six catches for 61 yards and actually had a decent game. High volume and targets again, just needs to find the end zone. And Ryan Finley is like a match made in heaven for Tyler Boyd, who he doesn't run deep routes all that often out of the slot. And Ryan Finley barely throws the ball more than 10 yards downfield. So I do like Tyler Boyd this week. And then my maybes at wide receiver, John Brown's a maybe against Miami. It's actually a, a sneaky hard matchup with Needham, who's started four times now since you've had Xavier Howard put on IR. Needham, Nick Needham, or Nike, N-I-K, Nick Needham, I imagine it is, has been very good. So you get John Brown, one of only two wide receivers in the league to have at least 50 receiving yards with Michael Thomas in every single game. But it's a tough or sneakier tough matchup than a lot of people expect. And at 6,400, just give me DJ Moore for cheaper, Curtis Samuel for cheaper, give me Michael Gallup for a little bit more, $200 or $100 more only. Yeah, I'm not going to get to John Brown all that much. He's the only thing from Buffalo that I would touch, though, um, in my opinion. Devin Singletary, I don't think I'll get too much of. Tyrell Williams against Oakland, really good matchup against BW Webb has been moving from the slot to the outside. He'll probably face Tyrell Williams here. Uh, he's just been their best cornerback. And now since due to a lot of injuries, he's had to move from the slot where he's been a lot better to the outside where he's been honestly in his career a lot worse and also in a small sample this year a lot worse. So good matchup for Tyrell Williams. My concern is they're 10 and a half point favorites and Tyrell Williams this season is only averaging 5.6 targets per game. So he's just not seeing a lot of volume. You need that big play out of him. He's not been consistent. So you're paying $5,400 for a kind of boomer busty type of a receiver. And that's a little bit hard for me to swallow. If he's going to see like four targets this game, he has to take one to the house. He surely can, but you're putting your money behind that. It seems a little bit risky. Calvin Ridley against Dante Jackson is a tough matchup for me to want to get to. But again, if I'm stacking some Matt Ryan and some Kyle Allen lineups as of right now, maybe this can change. Probably the Matt Ryan one will change a little bit more if anything. And probably get to Calvin Ridley. Muhammad Sanu is a guy that I like in stacks and also has a one-off option at 5,100. It seems a little bit steep. Probably sees a rotation of Ronald Darby and Jalen Mills. The matchup against Darby would be a lot better for Muhammad Sanu, uh, who's coming off of a 48-route a run game, which was tied with uh, Julian Edelman for the highest of that game in his first full game of action. He's played two games now. One, he played limited snaps in routes run. The last one, he was a full go. So I do like Sanu as probably the number two option in this offense, even ahead of James White, in my opinion, downfield against the Eagles. Traquan Smith, I prefer to Ted Ginn if you're choosing one of these wide receivers who honestly in the Saints offense, it goes Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, a tight end, which would be Jared Cook, and then the wide receiver two and threes. So Traquan Smith ran 43 routes last week. He played on 80% of the snaps, um, which was a lot more, 13% more than Ted Ginn played on last week. So, or 83% of the snaps, which is 13% more than Ted Ginn played last week. And he ran three more routes than Ted Ginn. So for a lot cheaper, 3,800, I do prefer Traquan Smith to Ted Ginn. Michael Thomas, we already had the big debate about there's a lot of opportunity costs in paying $9,900 for Michael Thomas. He's still going to be of interest to me, but I honestly won't get there. He's 20% on right now. I'm going to come in below the field. If I get any, I would be, I wouldn't be surprised, but like you get for $2,400 less, you get Julio. $2,600 less you get Chris Godwin and you mean to tell me you don't think that Chris Godwin has the same upside as Michael Thomas this week the same upside oh but Michael Thomas can score 40 he did it earlier this year okay and I think that Chris Godwin has scored like 38 or 35 twice this season so there's a lot of wide receivers on the slate even cheaper guys on the slate like Michael Gallup can go for 24 points 25 points on the slate DJ Moore has gone for back-to-back weeks for mid-20s and points like if these guys who are dirt cheap or even in the mid-range score 25 points and you only get 30, only 30. I'm saying as if it's like an automatic that you get 30 and that's where he's priced at Michael Thomas. You're not going to need Michael Thomas based on the opportunity cost. So I think he's a good play, of course, but there's pricing once again in DFS. And when a guy's just priced out of this world at at a position where he's been consistent and has as good of a matchup as you get, but it really restricts your whole lineup. And here's what, here's what you have to happen. Let me, let me just explain my process here of what I'm thinking. He has to get you 30 plus at 9,900, right? And he's been doing it 30 points the last two weeks, 40 plus against Tampa Bay the last time I played earlier this year. But he has to do that 
And if he has 44, obviously he's needed. But if he only gets you 30, okay, so there's one box you checked off that's kind of difficult to get 30 points and just think that it's automatically going to happen. But then two, every single other wide receiver on the slate, some in very good spots, right? These, These Tampa Bay wide receivers... Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, Julio Jones is still Julio Jones. Every single other wide receiver who is $2,000 plus less expensive, the next closest is Hopkins, 1800 They all have to go for just like 20 points or less. Like if any of them get you 30 points or 28 or 27, they're going to be needed since you're saving 2K and can get up at running back, wide receiver, tight end, um, other wide, or quarterback, whatever it might be. The opportunity cost is just too much there. You have to have a lot go right for Michael Thomas to pay off. He has to smash and every other wide receiver has to lay an egg because the pricing differences in those ranges are just too different. And there's a lot of options that can get you there. Whereas Mr. Christian McCaffrey, I think there's like two or three guys who can really blow him out of the water where I think there's like, I don't know, like eight to 10 wide receivers who can blow Michael Thomas out of the water by scoring 25 to 30 points this week. Mike Evans, if there's no Marshawn Lattimore, I will have a ton of right now. I don't have as much interest. Lattimore is just his kryptonite. And then Chris Conley, I actually like as a dart throw at 4,400. Again, I think Nick Foles had a very uh, serious connection with him in the preseason and it just got all blown away. He actually had three targets and two receptions on the first two drives before Nick Foles got hurt week one. Surely a small sample, but something to keep an eye on. Jamison Crowder, I don't have interest in. He's 5,700 and he's a guy who relies on touchdowns. And now his price tag is coming up because he's been scoring touchdowns, but it's a very variant stat of touchdown, right? So now you're paying top dollar for Jamison Crowder and if he doesn't score a touchdown, you're pretty much screwed. And I would really not want to bet every single week that Jamison Crowder is going to score a touchdown. I would love to get the Terry McLaurin in a dream matchup that Darius Slayton just blew up last week, but I just don't trust Dwayne Haskins. And at $5,600, there's a lot better options. Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore in that exact same price range, save a ton of money, get to Russell Gage or D.D. Westbrook. I honestly feel a lot more comfortable with than Dwayne Haskins throwing the ball to Terry McLaurin, even in a good matchup. And then also Robbie Anderson, he's a boomer bust option every week. I actually don't want him this week. Quentin Dunbar has been the best player on the defense, um, defensive side of the ball, like a 52 pass rating against, which is one of the better ones, top 10 in the league right now for a cornerback. He's actually been a stout, very quietly stout defensive player outside of Terry McLaurin. He's honestly been probably the best player on the entire Redskins team, Terry McLaurin behind him. And then honestly, probably like Adrian Peterson behind him, as bad as that sounds. Moving over to tight end where I have a very tight knit player pool here. You have Darren Waller against Cincinnati. Yes, I want that. If only $5,500, a guy averaging seven targets per game, a ton of overall um, air yards, like 25 air yards, uh, 25% of the air yards for his team. Just get to Darren Waller. You have no, uh, George Kittle is doubtful for this slate. Mark Andrews is priced up to $6,100 in a, in a fine matchup for him, but he's just priced up so high now that he needs to score you a touchdown. Zach Ertz against New England, where there's no Deshaun Jackson, potentially no Alshon Jeffrey. They're already running two wide receiver sets only to try and get more Dallas Goddard on the field because Matt Collins can't catch a ball and get separation. So Ertz's matchup, even though he's cheap, it's just really brutal for him. There's not a lot of options. You have Jack Doyle priced up surviving just on touchdowns alone, only eight targets over the last two weeks and two touchdowns. That's not sustainable. Tight end is a wasteland this week. So get to Darren Waller if you want to pay up. I do like OJ Howard. He ran a team high 41 routes last week. Played on 99% of the snaps and was actually running routes. So I like him at 3,600. Those are my only two yeses. And then I have three maybes. Jared Cook, he had 10 targets last week. I think that number comes down. And he's also priced up to a point where I'd rather save $800 and get to OJ Howard. Cook is only averaging right now... um, on the season, 5.3 targets per game. So you're paying $4,400 for a guy who is the fifth most expensive tight end on the slate and only averaging the sixth most targets on the slate. It just doesn't add up. His price tag is too high, in my opinion. Although, once again, he's priced up because of the matchup. So he's a maybe. Eric Ebron is a maybe. He saw 12 targets last week. He's seen 14 targets over the last two weeks. He sat down with Frank right before last week's game and said, I want more targets. I want to play more and get just more opportunities. 
He got that with 12 targets, but Devin Funches might be back this week. He's been practicing. Keep an eye on that. If he's back, it really hurts the overall upsides in the red zone for a guy like Eric Ebron, which is a concern, but I would rather play Eric Ebron for $400 less than Jack Doyle this week. And then Irv Smith Jr., he saw a season high in snaps and routes run last week, so he's just pretty, he's a pretty good play to get you like three catches for 30 yards, which is obviously terrible, but at $3,100, six fantasy points, you're then banking on a touchdown, you're gambling on it, so it's sort of a punt play. That's, I mean, the definition of a punt, just banking on a touchdown. There's just not a lot of options at tight end. Greg Olson against Atlanta, I think is fine. Some of these statistics down here um, got a little bit messed up. It's saying Greg Olson is playing. I know people sometimes point this out. It's saying Greg Olson is playing. We'll fix this right now. It's Greg Olson against Atlanta. I deleted something and he got pulled out. So Greg Olson against Atlanta is a fine option at 3,900, but he had a really good week last week because the Packers struggle all season long defending the short crossing routes to slot wide receivers, but primarily tight ends. Look at any quality tight end. All five quality tight ends they faced this year have gone off against them. So I'm not really even in a good matchup expecting the same thing against Atlanta this week for him, but in a weak tight end position, you can get to Greg Olson if you want. You can get to Jason Witten at $3,700 if you want. The guys that I have the most interest in are Darren Waller and OJ Howard. They're on a tier of their own. Then Jared Cook, Eric Ebron, and Irv Smith Jr. If Devin Funches is active, not as much interest in Eric Ebron this week. I don't really want Luke Stocker at $3,000 flat filling in for Austin Hooper. I think a lot of people would just expect Luke Stocker to be Austin Hooper, like just automatically be him. That's probably not going to be the case. Um, so that's where I'm at right now. You can get to Mark Andrews or Ertz if you want. I just think Andrews price point is tough uh, to prioritize this week with an expensive McCaffrey and Michael Thomas. And then I think also, um, it says Washington wants to move McLaurin around more. I just got a notification from Overworld. That would be good. That would help him. Um, but you know, his quarterback still sinks, stinks. Um, and then Ertz is just in a tough matchup. So I thought this was a good podcast. What do you think? Let me know in the comments. Let me know on Twitter. Whatever you want to do. We had a couple of rants in here about Brian Hill. Um, my God, Michael Thomas's price point as well. But if you enjoyed this, please hit the subscribe button. I really do appreciate it. We're going to crush through 15,500 subscribers by the end of the week and maybe 20,000 by Christmas. That would be the best Christmas gift ever. So please hit the subscribe button. Please, please, please hit the five-star rate and review on the podcast. Link down below for a chance and leave your fantasy draft handle for a chance to win a entry into fantasy drafts contest. My exclusive content is linked down below on Patreon, NBA projections every day. I have a Friday ownership podcast, a Saturday Patreon exclusive live stream, cash game tiers on Saturday. My game by game notes are already out. We have a Sunday closing thought show. A lot more stuff is on Patreon as well, about 25 hours a week for the NFL and every single day NBA projections. So Follow me on Twitter at DFS. Follow me on Instagram. Once again, I do random posts where I unlock things on Patreon and only let my Instagram followers know about it by posting. So we had last night, the NBA projections were opened up from 530 to the rest of the night. I was going to close it at seven, but I just left it open the rest of the night because why not? Um, so a couple of people were able to get into that for free. So check out that. I'll drop some just fun Easter egg things over there. Follow me over on Instagram. It will be linked up down below. My name is Sal. You already know that you crazy son of a guns. I hope you've had a great week. I hope you have a great rest of your week. Peace out, gang. Thank you so much. I appreciate all the support. See ya. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. And before you go, if I can get you to subscribe and follow the podcast, download a few if you wish. But if you enjoyed this podcast, if you can please subscribe, helps me out, helps support it. So thank you so much. And I will see you in the next one.